They are eleven warriors. Yes, they are the eleven warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on our NFL Draft Preview edition of Real Pod Wednesdays as we take a look at another very strong draft class for Ohio State and make some predictions for where they will end up on Thursday night or Friday or Saturday, which is when this year's NFL Draft will be held. Certainly, we expect on Thursday to hear at least three Buckeyes names being called. C.J. Stroud, Paris Johnson Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba, all three of them being projected as top 15 draft picks going into this year's draft. And who knows, maybe we'll see Dewan Jones or another Buckeye even join them in the first round. Yeah, Dan, it certainly should be a good draft at kind of the the top of the order here for the Buckeyes front loaded with some huge star names here. You just wrote a piece as well about how Ohio State's going to, you know, set to extend its lead in terms of first round NFL draft picks over USC, I believe, Dan, is second in that category. Ohio State going to be up to 90 if Stroud, Johnson and Smith and Jigba, as expected, end up going in the first round. Maybe more, though, Dan, because, you know, there, there certainly have been a couple guys that have snuck into that first round, you know, after those top three guys in terms of certain mock drafts here and there. Yeah, I mean, I I look at Dewan Jones as really probably the swing guy in that conversation as the guy who, you know, you you look at it, he could go in the back half of the first round, he could go somewhere in the second round. I lean toward believing he's probably going to go in the second round, but I, I will not be shocked if he goes late in the first. I mean, you look at potential landing spots for him in the first round, I'd probably put the most likely one is the Kansas City Chiefs who have the 31st pick in the first round. And so he could be a guy where we could go right up to the end of that first round without knowing whether or not he's going to be a a first round pick. But I think either way, you know, if he doesn't go in round one, he'll probably hear his name early on Friday in round two. You know, Zach, Zach Harrison has occasionally gotten a first round mock draft projection, but I would be more surprised by that. I think he's somebody who's uh, very much in that day two range. You know, most of the mock drafts have had him in the third round, but, you know, if he bumps up into the second round, that wouldn't shock me either. Uh, I, I do think it's probably a stretch to think he could go in the first round, but, you know, this is going to be a draft that I think is going to be full of surprises. I mean, I think the the only thing we think we know at this point is that Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, is going number one. And I mean, as we sit here today, there's, you know, Reddit rumors that Will Levis is going number one, which I don't believe. But again, again, we, we always talk on this podcast about how things always change after we record. And this is one of those weeks where we talk about NFL draft. There's likely to be a brand new batch of rumors between now and the time we publish the podcast. And so it's going to be a fun uh, draft to follow for sure. I will be in Kansas City to cover CJ Stroud, Paris Johnson Jr., and Jackson Smith and Jigba, as all three of them will be in attendance. Ohio State, one of just two schools that will have three first round picks in attendance, or I shouldn't say first round picks for sure, but three players who have been invited to attend the draft that will likely be first round picks. The other school is Alabama. Yeah, Dan, I do like a draft where there's a, you know, a bit of drama at the with the number one overall pick. Of course, you know, as you said, Bryce Young certainly seems like the favorite to go there. But, you know, perhaps that'll get shaken up as we get closer to draft night. But in terms of drama with Buckeyes in particular, Dan, I mean, some of the biggest 
you know, the, the biggest draft headlines in general right now all seem to be revolving around CJ Stroud because, you know, there was that period around Ohio State Pro Day not that long ago, just last month, where he seemed there seemed to be a lot of traction towards him going number one overall for, you know, to the Carolina Panthers, him being the favorite to to be taken, you know, number one overall in a lot of for a lot of betting betting sites and things like that. Since then, though, there's been a couple of, you know, little criticisms and, and stories and kind of gossip and rumors, maybe some test scores as well, Dan, that seem to have people thinking that, you know, perhaps perhaps he might fall a little bit, you know, maybe not too far, but certainly out of the the number one spot and possibly even, you know, maybe going down to, to number four or something like that. Yeah. I mean, until a few weeks ago, I thought CJ Stroud was going to be the number one overall pick until last week. I, I still thought CJ Stroud was a top two lock. Now I'm not so sure. I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of smoke out there that the Texans are not quite, you know, sold on CJ Stroud and that they might look in another direction. And so I, I think, you know, if that's true, then I, I think the big question then becomes okay, does somebody move up to three to jump the Colts to go get CJ Stroud? And I, my feeling is someone will because. You know, all the talk has been that the Cardinals are willing and and ready to trade out of that pick. Somebody makes a big offer to move up for a quarterback. And I think if CJ Stroud falls falls out of the top two, I, I think there's going to be multiple teams probably looking to make that move. But the one that has my eye is the Tennessee Titans, because I've said it since last year's pro day, just watching. Mike Vrabel, and I believe John Robinson, who was their GM at the time, was there as well. And and they were very invested in watching that C.J. Stroud pro day workout. And ever since then, I've kind of had the Titans in my mind as a team with, you know, Ryan Tannehill being somebody who's an average NFL starter at best, somebody who's now entering the final year of his contract, getting on the back end of his career. You know, right now is the time where the Titans could and should be looking for their quarterback of the future. They did draft Malik Willis last year in the third round, but it doesn't seem like his first year necessarily generated much confidence in Tennessee that he can be the next guy. And so there's been a lot of talk that the Titans could be looking to move up to get a quarterback in this draft. And in my mind, if they're looking to move up, it's because they want CJ Stroud. And, you know, I, I think if, if one of their AFC South rivals, the Texans decides to pass on him, I think the Titans are going to look and say, well, there's another one of our AFC South rivals, the Colts sitting there at number four. We got to jump him so he doesn't go to Indianapolis. And so that's my, that's my official and final prediction on CJ Stroud is I don't think, I don't think the Texans are going to take him, whether that's because uh, he has the same agent as Deshaun Watson or whether that's because they're just not sold that he's a franchise quarterback. I don't know, but I think the Texans are going to go in another direction and I'm going to predict that the Tennessee Titans are going to move up to number three to draft CJ Stroud. Well, Dan, let's talk a little bit here about, you know, some of the reasons uh, or at least the the hoopla surrounding, you know, maybe why Stroud has fallen out of the the top two picks, or if you even believe that, you know, some of what we're hearing is actually causing you know, a little bit of a slide at the top of the the draft order here, because, you know, first there was some chatter like, you know, pundits, you know, analysts, former players, et cetera, talking on various, you know, platforms, podcasts, TV shows, et cetera. One of the rumors was that, you know, maybe some executives didn't think Stroud was, 
super coachable. Then there was the whole story of supposedly CJ Stroud, quote unquote, ghosting the Manning passing camp and uh, that rubbing some people the wrong way. Of course, there was, you know, certain people refuting that and and saying that that wasn't the full story and everything like that. But then after that, Dan, something that, that seemed to be a more logical reason, I would say that maybe teams were looking at um, if if they were you know dropping Stroud in terms of his stock, there would be the the whole S two cognition test, which supposedly Stroud got a scored an eighteen percent on. But of course, I've I've also seen people come out and say that you know that score might not even be accurate either. So, what do you kind of make of all this surrounding Stroud, and you know how much does it align with you know the the player that we've covered over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think the the Manning Passing Academy thing is pretty silly. I mean, even if that's true, who cares? Uh, So I'm not putting much stock in that one at all. I think, you know, in terms of the super coach, not super coachable thing, I I think Ryan Day and his coaches at Ohio State would refute that. That's not something that I've ever heard from anyone at Ohio State about Stroud not being coachable. So I don't put any stock into that one either. I I think of, of if you're looking for what reason might actually be contributing to a at least a mini draft slide for CJ Stroud. I would look at the S2 test being one that I think there could be something to in terms of some teams cooling on Stroud because that is a test that I know that scouts do put some value in and that if you look at the numbers of quarterbacks over the years and how they fared on that test there has been some correlation there in terms of the guys who have scored well on that tests have typically done much better as nfl quarterbacks than the quarterbacks who haven't and so you know i think if that test score is accurate which again i know the co-founder of s2 has come out and said some of those scores are not accurate or they lack proper context and so you know if that score is accurate i think it could be a legitimate negative against cj stroud as a draft prospect but you know right i know ryan day said this in an interview with a dispatch the other day that you know he's very surprised that that's become a topic of conversation because he thinks decision making and processing is one of the things that makes stroud special and i would agree with that like i think just watching him on film like i always felt like his ability to process defenses his ability to you know, find the open receiver in the middle of a play, I've always thought those were some of CJ's best qualities along with his accuracy. And so I think ultimately you got to go back to the tape and you got to actually watch the player on film. That's going to tell you more than any cognition test can. And and when I you know when when you watch CJ as a football player, I, I you just don't come away from that thinking you know this is a guy who can't read defenses. I think. The exact opposite. I think that's what's set him apart and made him special compared to a lot of other quarterbacks. And so, you know, in in, in that sense, you know, I think if you're looking for a reason to disqualify Stroud, then maybe you're going to look at that test score. But to me, I think if, you know, I wouldn't look at it and go, well, I'm not going to draft CJ Stroud anymore because. I think you can you can go back to the tape. You can talk to his coaches at Ohio State. You know, you can talk to his teammates at Ohio State. I mean, everything we've always heard about C.J. Stroud is about how smart he is. 
And so, and I mean, even just talking to CJ, I think you can tell he's a very smart guy. He's somebody who has a really high football IQ. And so I don't know what the deal with that test was, you know, if it's, if the score is even accurate or, you know, if it is like, you know, if there's maybe a reason why he wouldn't have scored as well as he should have, but you know, I, I just, when I look at CJ Stroud as a football player, like I think there's legitimate questions about CJ Stroud, where that be, you know, running the ball or, you know, athleticism, things like that. But in terms of his ability to, you know, read a, read a defense and make decisions, you know, that's something that was never a problem for him at, at Ohio state. And obviously the NFL is a different level, but I just think the consistency with which he's, we've seen him do that well over the course of two years at Ohio state is reason to believe that's a reason to draft CJ Stroud, not a reason not to draft CJ Stroud. Yeah. Dan, I remember all the times this past year, even when, you know, mid season in press conference settings and things like that, we were all kind of marveling at some of the, the instances where Stroud would kind of describe a certain play in just very sharp detail. And some of those clips got, you know, put on, put online and everyone was like, man, this is a, a real smart, you know, football kind of guy. And obviously I, there's obviously another level of, you know, football understanding and things like that, that the guys are tapping into with the NFL. But that, those were certainly moments that, that I think impressed all of us in the media, listening to him talk, you know, just about the game in general. The only other thing that comes to mind, I guess, when talking about all of that is I know in the past, like CJ kind of describing the, the evolution of his relationship with Ryan Day. And saying that, you know, at certain certain times, you know, he became comfortable and would kind of push back or challenge Ryan Day and and kind of ask questions and things like that. And and I don't know if if that kind of style of of uh, you know coach pupil relationship is is maybe what might have rubbed some of the executives the wrong way or something like that. But that's kind of the only thing that came to my mind when hearing that. Then ultimately, we got to remember that it is it's NFL draft rumor season. It's the time of year where you know, a lot of stuff leaks out about guys and you never know what exactly the source of these leaks are and what, you know, maybe the objective of someone leaking these things is. So, you know, you could have teams that are hoping CJ Stroud will fall down the board so they can select them, putting these negative things out there into the world, trying to influence his draft stock. And so, you know, I think ultimately, you know, teams that want quarterbacks are going to have to, you know, sift through all this stuff. And and then just decide is he a guy that we want to be our franchise quarterback? But you know, do I I think CJ's gonna plummet down the board because of this S2 test? I I doubt it. I think, you know, maybe the Texans aren't gonna take him. And so maybe he's a you know, a third pick of a fourth pick rather than a second pick. But if if he fell any anywhere lower than fourth, I'd be still be pretty shocked. Dan, how about after Stroud, a guy that, you know, there's been a little bit of of smoke, you know, could could possibly be the second Buckeye to to go off the board here, and uh, per, perhaps as high as a, as a top five pick in Paris Johnson. So, you know, seen some some headlines and speculation. Maybe he could go number three to the Cardinals, Dan. You know, if 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 they don't end up trading that pick, as you were kind of portending that they might. You know, with a team trying to come up to get a, a Stroud at number three, certainly a lot of you know top fifteen range kind of projections for Johnson. A couple, you know, that I've seen on your roundups in other places that have him going, you know, at four, four, third, four, things like that. But where do you think that Paris Johnson ends up Dan, and where do you think would be, you know, a good fit for him at the next level? 
Yeah, I mean, if he goes third to the Cardinals in a non-trade situation, he could actually be the first Buckeye drafted because right. if we assume C.J. Stroud isn't going second to the Texans, then it's it's actually possible Paris Johnson could be the first Buckeye drafted. I wouldn't bet on that, but you, you, you never know if the Cardinals actually do want him at three and the Texans don't want C.J. Stroud. There's a chance Paris Johnson could be the first Buckeye drafted. But, you know, I think that's far less likely to happen than than it is going to happen. I I do expect Paris Johnson to be a top ten pick, but I I think later in the top ten is is more likely. I mean the the the, the spot that stood out a lot to me, and I think has stood out to a lot of people, is the possibility of him going to the Chicago Bears at number nine. The Bears have you know certainly had a lot of offensive line issues over the past couple of years, and you know certainly a, a top priority for them is giving Justin Fields better protection this year. And so the idea of drafting his former Ohio State teammate to be his left tackle there in Chicago, I think is one that's very appealing to a lot of people. And so, you know, I I think if he's on the board still at nine, I think there's a very good chance that Parrish Johnson Jr. will end up being a bear. I think the question would be, does someone draft him earlier or does somebody trade up to draft him earlier? That certainly sounds like something it could be a distinct possibility. Dan Jackson Smith and Jigba was a guy that certainly was in the crosshairs of some of the, you know, hoopla and rumors and whatnot draft wise early on in the process. That seems to to not really be holding him back though. At this point, seems like he's certainly considered the, the top wideout in this year's draft. But but you know, just how high will that kind of consideration take him this year? Certainly, seen a lot of, you know, speculation that he might go in that that pick number 10 to 15 range, Dan. Yeah, to me, it always should have been obvious that Jackson Swift and Jigba was the number one wide receiver in this draft. I mean, to me, I, I thought that was always clear, but I think it took some people some time to come around to that. But I think, you know, importantly, I think he checked off all the boxes he needed to during the pre-draft process, you know, by running, you know, the fantastic shuttle times and having a fantastic workout at the NFL combine and then going to pro day and running a sub four five forty. you know, he showed he has enough speed. He showed he's healthy. He showed he has that elite agility and he reminded everybody how good he is as a receiver. And so I think all those things put him back where he belongs in terms of draft stock, which is the number one wide receiver in this draft. Now, you know, this is not considered to be as strong of a wide receiver draft as last year when we saw four receivers, including Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, go in the top 12. I think this year it's most more likely we're only going to see one receiver go in the top 15. But I do think that receiver will be Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that 10 to 15 range in the draft kind of feels like his sweet spot for me. I know there's been some you know, chatter that maybe the Eagles are gaining interest in Jackson Smith and Jigba as a possible pick. Uh, the Titans, if they don't trade up, I think they could certainly look for Jackson Smith and Jigba because they have a need for receiving weapons. The Texans, again, I mean, if they, you know, regardless of whether they take, I mean, if they take Stroud at two, then to me, drafting Smith and Jigba at 12 would be a no brainer. If they don't draft Stroud at two, then who knows? I mean, they might take a defensive player at two and hope they can get another quarterback at 12. But certainly they're still a team that you know needs receiver help and could be in the market for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think the team I'm really eyeing now 
as the team I think might be most likely to draft Jackson Smith and Jigba on Thursday night is the Green Bay Packers. And a lot of it has to do with the trade that happened on Monday where they finally finalized their trade with the New York Jets for Aaron Aaron Rodgers to go to New York. And as part of that trade, they flipped picks with the Jets, moving up two spots from 13, from 15 to 13. And I think that's notable because I had looked at the Patriots as a team that I thought would be very likely to draft Jackson Swift and Jigba if he was on the board. And I think by moving up those two spots, jumping ahead of the Patriots at 14, I think the Packers have now put themselves in a position to potentially draft Jackson Swift and Jigba if he wants him. And so that's my prediction is Jackson Swift and Jigba going to the Packers at 13. Certainly, I mean, in my mind, Jackson Swift and Jigba is a top 10 prospect in this draft. And so in my mind, he should be a top 10 pick. But I, I think just in terms of evaluating the landing spots and evaluating who else might go where, I look at the Packers at 13 as my you know official prediction on where he's going to go. But I think really anybody in that 10 to 15 range, you know, Eagles, Titans, Texans, Packers, Patriots, Jets, I could see any of them as a potential landing spot for Jackson Swift and Jigba. Yeah, maybe unlikely that he ends up slipping a couple extra spots there, Dan. But how fun would the fit be, you know, with the Jets? Obviously, Garrett, Garrett Wilson already there, Aaron Rodgers coming aboard. What a, you know, a spotlight, especially for for those two guys. I mean, not that Garrett Wilson, you know, had any trouble making headlines and, and you know, making highlight plays and, and turning heads last year in his own situation. But, you know, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, the amount of you know attention he brings, potential success that, that offense could have, that would be a really fun situation to see unfold, I think. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. And I, I think Garrett would be pretty hyped if that happened. Yeah, for sure. We all know how highly uh, Garrett Wilson thinks of Jackson Smith and Jigba, well publicized in the past from their time together at Ohio State would certainly be a deadly combination there for Aaron Rodgers to play with in terms of wide receiver threats. But Dan, besides, you know, those top three guys, we already touched on a couple of guys that, you know, particularly Dewan Jones that, you know, maybe could sneak into that first round, but still, you know, the four kind of next guys that seem, you know, most likely, obviously uh, a couple of them more, you know, locked in there as, as definite draft picks and others. But, you know, you've got guys like Dewan Jones, Luke Whipler, Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, those feel like kind of the the next four most solidified draft prospects, I think, for the Buckeyes. Do you have thoughts on where those guys end up, Dan, maybe starting with, with Whipler since we already discussed DeWand a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I see Whipler as a, a solid third round pick. I would not be shocked if he ended up in the second round, but a round three has kind of been the consensus on him throughout the draft process. I mean, I think he's he's certainly you know, a, a top five interior offensive lineman in this draft, top uh, two or three center. And so, you know, I, I mean, I think second round, he could get some consideration. My, my my thinking is he goes in round three, but I don't think he's on the board long in round three. I look at the, the Houston Texans in particular, they have a major need at center. And so if they don't draft a center in the first two rounds, I, I could see their pick, the second pick of round three, number 65 overall. I think that would be a very logical landing spot for Luke Whipler. And again, I mean, if they if they want to draft CJ Stroud and Jackson and Jigba, they could just keep the whole band together, draft CJ Jackson and, and Luke Whipler. That doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but I, I do think Whipler is a guy that they would be interested in, even if they choose to pass on Stroud. Yeah, and Zach Harrison, obviously a guy who 
We've talked about it throughout the pre-draft draft process. You know, you know, you're you're kind of still buying into his maybe potential, the the physical tool set he has. You know, is his best football going to be ahead of him in the NFL? As we've you know certainly seen maybe from from guys in the past that didn't quite turn into the statistical monsters at Ohio State that you know fans might have hoped for, but certainly a guy with the length, the wingspan, the the frame, the height. You know, almost you know above six six five. You know, two hundred and seventy four pounds. What do you have the did he have the second longest uh, wingspan or, or reach, Dan, in all of the combine behind Dewan Jones? Was that the stat there? I mean, about arms, arm length. Yep, yep. So his physical tools obviously tell you that this is a guy that you know could potentially you know go go up on the draft board if if guys you know executives, NFL you know scouts, coaches, etc. end up falling in love with some of those you know measurables there. But where do you see him kind of slotting in as the most likely you know landing spot or kind of you know, range there draft wise. Yeah. He's an interesting prospect. Cause like you said, I mean, he's got a lot of physical upside and I still think there's going to be teams out there that say, we think we can get more out of him. We think his best football is in front of him. We think there's untapped potential here. You know, I think, you know, the two, you know, questions I have with Zach Harrison that I think could potentially hurt him in the draft process. One, you know, of course, being just the fact that he was at Ohio State four years, and he never quite became that dominant player that we thought he had the potential to be. And so, you know, I think, you know, teams are going to question, can he ever become that guy? And then secondly, I question a little, how, how would he fit in a 3-4 defense? Because, you know, we've only seen him play in the 4-3. You know, we know he can play, you know, defensive end and even kick inside in pass wrestling situations to play defensive tackle in a four free. So I like him better to in a team that plays a four free. I mean, I think in a free four, you look at him, he's big enough that he could potentially play defensive end in a, in a free four. And he's athletic enough that he could potentially play outside linebacker in a free four. I just don't know if either of those spots are quite right for his game. Exactly. And so I, I think he's probably better suited going to a team that has a four free defense, you know, just looking at, team fits you know one team that kind of stood out to me that i think would make a lot of sense for him would be the kansas city chiefs um because they they do have a need for you know another rotational kind of defensive end and i think he's somebody who could fit that role now you know they that makes it a little harder to to project because i i look at that and i go okay well they pick at the end of round two so i could see them picking him at the end of round two, I could also potentially see him sliding down the board and still being there for them to pick late in round three. So it, it's kind of hard to get a, a read on him. I do think that he goes solidly on day two. You know, I I could definitely see him going, you know, late in the second round, but I, I still think the third round is probably more likely for him. Yeah, and Ronnie Hickman's a guy that's really interesting because on your mock draft roundup from a few days ago, you know, quite a, a wide range of kind of where he might fall. Obviously, the the veteran Buckeye safety played that, you know, adjuster safety position, free safety in Jim Knowles' defense this past year. You know, obviously didn't finish the, his, his Ohio State career playing necessarily his his very best football there towards the end of the season, but still a guy that, you know, seems like he, he certainly should, you know, end up hearing his name called in Kansas City, Dan, but perhaps not you know, in those early rounds. Yeah. His draft projections have truly run the gamut because there was one point where 
someone had him in a first round mock draft. And I've also seen mock drafts where he didn't get picked at all in seven rounds. So <laughs> we've really run the gamut there on, on Ronnie Hickman, but I, I think the sixth round is probably what I, what I would put as his most likely landing spot. You know, like you said, I, I think, you know, he, he, he needed a stronger finish to the season. If he was going to put himself more in a conversation to be an early round pick, I, I think you compound, you know, a disappointing end of a year or the fact that he, he didn't work out at the combine. He didn't work out at the pro day. I, I just feel like his draft stock is trended in the wrong direction that he hasn't had the opportunity to really kind of build momentum for himself in, in the pre-draft process. And I think, you know, what I think the good thing Ronnie has going for him is he's shown he can play free safety. He's shown he can play strong safety. So he has that versatility to play both roles. And I think that helps him a lot in terms of when teams are looking for backup safeties, which is the kind of players they're going to be looking for on day three of a draft. You know, he's a guy that I think they can look at and say, this is a guy who can play multiple safety spots for us, can do a lot of different things. That makes him a versatile backup that can potentially develop into a starter down the line. And so I think that will get him drafted. I think what hurts him in terms of being an early round kind of pick is you know, he just never quite became that game changer at, at, at Ohio State. I think he's one of those guys who does a lot of things well, but there's not necessarily anything that really jumps off the page about him. And, you know, I think there could be some questions, too, just because of what we saw in the Michigan and Georgia games is, you know, how much can you really trust him in deep coverage? You know, I think. You know, teams are going to feel pretty good about him as a guy who can, you know, play in the box, who can tackle well, you know, who can handle some coverage responsibilities. But is he a guy you really want patrolling the back end of an NFL defense? You know, I'm I'm not sure on that. And so I have him in the sixth round. You know, I, I it it gets harder to project team fits at this point. I'm I'm going on my on my mock draft. I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers taking Ronnie in the sixth round, but, you know, wouldn't really be surprised in any destination there. I, I just think, you know, the sixth round is what makes the most sense for him. A couple other members of the Buckeye secondary this past season are, are hoping to sneak in the draft as well. A couple of guys in Cam Brown, Tanner McAllister that have shown up, you know, certainly as, as late round picks in, in some mock drafts and some projections, but perhaps not all of them. Where do you see that? Do you, do you, do you even think those guys do get drafted Dana? And if so, you know, how far down on the, on the docket do they fall? I'm going to say that one of them gets drafted and I'm going to say Tanner McAllister gets drafted. I, I think he's a guy who has uh, been a little underrated in the draft process, but you look at the, the performance he put up at pro day, the numbers he put up there were great. And I think he's a guy, you know, another guy, just like I talked about Hickman, who's got some versatility, you know, he played mostly at the nickel spot at Ohio state, but he also has some experience playing as a traditional safety as well. And so I think he's a guy that teams will look at as this is a guy who can come in and be a backup at multiple spots in the secondary. This is a guy who can contribute on special teams for us. And I think, you know, physically he's shown he has all the attributes to be an NFL defensive back. And so I have Tanner McAllister as a seventh round pick. I'm putting him with the Dallas Cowboys, which is his hometown team. And he made a pre-draft visit there and a team that could use some safety depth as well. And so I think out of all those guys, in my mind, 
Tanner McAllister is the most likely to get get drafted. I I think Cam Brown has been projected in more mock drafts than, than Tanner McAllister, and I I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Brown was a seventh round pick either. I, I just I, I feel like with with Cam, I mean, there's a couple things that are going to work against him. For one, the fact that you know he had you know health issues throughout his Ohio State career, I, I think that's going to make teams less inclined to draft him based on the fact that, you know, he, he had trouble, you know, staying healthy for a full season at Ohio state. And, you know, is he going to continue to have those problems in the NFL? And then secondly, I mean, his whole calling card was his elite speed. And then he ran a four five two at the pro day. So I just don't know if, if Cam Brown is, is somebody who, NFL teams are going to view as as a draftable player. I think he'll certainly get snapped up quickly as an undrafted free agent if he doesn't get drafted. But you know he's a guy, and and the same and the same is true for McAllister, even if he does get drafted. But you know Brown's a guy that you know I think he's going to have to earn his way onto an NFL roster, whether he's a late round pick or an undrafted signee. Maybe the the biggest name outside of those guys, as far as Ohio State's draft hopefuls at that kind of stage of the draft is Teron Vincent, who of course, you know, five-star prospect out of high school, you know, longtime Buckeye, but didn't make the cut. And really, I know in, in the, the roundup you did a few days ago, Dan, uh, any of the mock drafts that you, and you looked at like 36 of them. So that's, that's kind of a statement there about where he, you know, is potentially going to wind up, you know, when the draft settles. Yeah, there just hasn't been a whole lot of momentum, it seems, for him as a draft prospect. Now, I, I think he's a draftable player. I mean, I think, you know, he I, I think he's a guy who has the potential to make an NFL roster as a rotational defensive tackle. You know, he's a pretty good run stopper at Ohio State. He he has NFL kind of measurables. But again, I think he's a guy where you know, we, we talked about it with Zach Harrison, and I think it's certainly true for Teron Vincent too, where he just never quite became the player you thought he was going to be at Ohio State when he came in as a five-star recruit. You know, he was a solid player at Ohio State, but he never became that that difference maker, that game changer. And I think, you know, I think for NFL teams, I think they're probably going to look at him as a guy who this guy could be, you know, a rotational piece for us, a depth piece for us, but right now he's not a guy who's going to project to to go into the NFL and, and be a starter. So I won't be surprised if Teron Vincent makes the roster of whatever team he ends up with. But at this point, it does seem to be more likely that he'll be going the undrafted free agent route. Though, you know, I can remember, you know, I don't remember if it was maybe three years ago or whatnot, where, you know, Jay Sean Cornell got picked in the seventh round. And he was a guy kind of similar career to Teron Vincent at Ohio State. Nobody was talking about him getting drafted and he ends up going in a seventh round. So when we're talking about all these guys in the late rounds, there's not really that much difference between being a seventh round pick and being an undrafted guy. So whether it's McAllister, Cam Brown, uh, Teron Vincent, I mean, even guys like, you know, Jerron Cage, you, you throw them all in there, you know, they could get, they, they could get drafted. Even if people aren't projecting it, there is a potential that they could go you know, in that, in that last round of the draft. So Dan, obviously there's still a few other Buckeyes that, you know, would certainly love to get drafted, but perhaps, you know, not likely to do so, but just wonder your thoughts kind of on the, the opportunities that might come for, you know, guys like Pallier Nayoteote. That's another guy that, 
you know, a one-time five-star prospect. Things didn't go you know, exactly the way he would have liked in college, certainly at Ohio State. Um, you know, you mentioned Jerron Cage earlier, a guy like Mitch Rossi as well, who I know, you know, Kevin Wilson certainly had high hopes for for his potential as a a guy that could, you know, make an NFL roster and, and play in the NFL. A special teams guy as well, like Bradley Robinson. Also, you know, Noah Ruggles as well, Dan, kind of interesting situation there. Any thoughts on, on you know, the guys in, in that group that are, you know, hoping to take advantage of some kind of opportunity this weekend as well? Yeah, I think out of those guys, the one who might intrigue me the most is Mitch Ross, Mitch Rossi. You know, I, I'm not expecting him to be drafted because you just don't see a lot of fullbacks get drafted and there hasn't really seemed to be much momentum for him to be drafted. But, you know, I think he's a guy, you know, with that skill set he has, of all the different things he's shown he can do where he, you know, he can be a fullback, you know, he can be a backup tight end. He could be, you know, an emergency running back or a pass protector at that position. You know, he has so much experience on special teams, but I think he's a guy that if he lands in the right spot, has a chance to compete for a roster spot. I kind of look at Tennessee might be the perfect spot for him. He's a lifelong Titans fan who grew up near Nashville. You know, Mike Vrabel, I think certainly knows the importance of a fullback having occasionally played that position in the NFL and the Titans, their, their fullback from this past season, they actually did not resign. So they have a opening for a, a fullback. And so I kind of look at that as almost a, a perfect landing spot for him, most likely as a, a free agent signee, but I'm going to be interested to see where he ends up. Cause I do think he's somebody who has uh, the, the potential to play in the NFL. Like, you know, again, he's going to have to earn his way onto a roster. And I think the the biggest part of that is going to be proving he can provide value on special teams. But I, I do think he has a skill set that, you know, we've seen it. So, you know, fullbacks usually have been used more in the NFL than they have been in college. And so I do think he has a skill set that gives him a chance of, of making it in the NFL. You know, Nayote Ote, I, I'd be a little surprised if we see him. You know, I, I would be surprised if he got drafted. I think, you know, most likely for him, his route to making a team is going to have to come through getting a mini camp invite and earning a roster spot from there. I'd be a little surprised if he gets outright signed just because you know he didn't really play much at Ohio State. It's it's certainly not out of question. Like you said, he was a five star recruit coming out of high school. He has you know NFL kind of size. I, I just don't know that he showed enough at Ohio State that's going to get him you know signed to an actual contract this weekend. You know, I think, you know, for Noah, Noah Ruggles, I, I think the challenge there is, you know, he obviously was, you know, again, can't just put it all on that one kick for his career at Ohio State over two years, he made over 90% of his field goals. And so I think you love his reliability, reliability on shorter field goals. I, I think the problem with Noah is I mean, he didn't kick off at all in his second year at Ohio State. Obviously, longer field goals were a problem for him. And so I, I just don't know if Noah has an NFL leg. I think, again, he's a guy that if if he's going to make a roster, it most likely starts with being invited to a mini camp and then having to earn his way up through there. And I would say the same is, is true for Bradley Robinson. I mean, that's that's usually the case for most specialists. Um, you know, there are, there are some who get drafted and some who get signed you know outright but a lot of specialists have to start out by making a roster for a mini camp invite and the good news is 
you know, every every team typically brings, you know, a kicker and a punter and a long snapper to their rookie mini camps. And so, you know, that's 32 opportunities right there. It's just a matter of then turning that into an actual roster spot. And I think, you know, for a guy like Bradley Robinson, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on what exactly makes a long snapper an NFL player. But, you know, obviously he's coming off the knee injury, you know, is able to snap, but not necessarily able to do everything right now. And so I think that's something that could initially hurt his opportunity to where, you know, he may have a better shot at, you know, trying out for a team and making a, a team whenever he is fully 100% cleared, whenever that might be. And so, you know, I, I think he's a guy that will get a look from NFL teams at, at some point. I, I just don't know if it's going to be immediately because of that knee injury. And looking at the the whole draft class here now, you know, I kind of threw out the the Jets, JSN, you know, kind of dream fit there. Is there any anyone like that? Obviously, you've thrown out, you know, several kind of likeliest fits or, or good fits, but any kind of dream pairings for you from this class or even, you know, some of the guys that that might go undrafted in terms of where you would really like to see them end up in, in kind of a fantasy world here? Yeah, I mean, as a guy who grew up in Massachusetts and knows a lot of Patriots fans, I always thought. Jackson and Jigbu would be a perfect fit for the Patriots. You look at, uh, you know, the success slot receivers like uh, Julian Edelman and Wes Welker have had in their offense historically, and I think he's somebody who could fill that role perfectly. I think he's very much what they need in terms of, you know, a guy who can, you know, make plays after the catch in the open field. You know, Matt Jones is not, you know, a rocket-armed quarterback, so I think, you know, giving him someone who can you know make more plays himself uh with the ball in his hands i i viewed that as a as a really good fit for him you know some of them i already mentioned you know i think paris johnson for the bears like it just makes a ton of sense in that reunion with justin fields you know i mentioned the mitch rossi titans one that's one i really like as an undrafted free agent you know i know you know i, I know a lot of people have matched dewan jones with the steelers as a fit of it could be really good. And I could see that too. I, I I don't know that I see the Steelers taking him at, you know, the 17th pick as some people have. I think, you know, they they may draft, you know, another offensive tackle on the board if one of the top guys is still there. But I think, you know, if they miss out on like that first wave of offensive tackles, I, I think, you know, that could be an intriguing fit for him, potentially even if the first pick of a second round, which they have from the Chase Claypool trade with the Chicago Bears. Then obviously, as, as Ohio State cranks out, you know, all this high level NFL talent every year, there's always, you know, some some historical milestones and, and things like that that kind of come up kind of with each draft. There's certainly some fun ones this year as well. CJ Stroud, Dan, has the, the potential to be the highest ever drafted Ohio State quarterback with Art Schleister being the previous high at number four in 1982. So, you know, if, if some of the scenarios that we talked about there play out with Stroud, that that would be a cool one for Ohio State, although, you know, potentially not that that number one overall pick that, that we might have thought a while back. Yeah, there's, you know, the possibility that he could end up going with the same pick to the same team as Arch Schleister 41 years later if he ends up being there at number four and going to the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, everyone would be hoping that would go better than things went in the NFL and have continued to go since for Arch Schleister, who 
gambling addiction derailed his NFL career and really his entire life ever since. But but I'm going to say I'm going to say that I think Stroud, uh, like I said, I think someone's going to trade up to free to take Stroud if he doesn't go at two. And be, because of that, I, I I'm going to go out and say I think C.J. Stroud will break that record and become the highest drafted Ohio State quarterback ever. We all remember, obviously, last year, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave going in the first round, and that was a very cool moment for the Buckeyes and Brian Hartline in particular. It could be a third first round wideout in two years with Jackson Smith and Jigba, of course, slated to go in, in a similar range as those two did last year. And obviously, with the likes of Marvin Harrison Jr. and the talent coming up behind Jackson Smith and Jigba, there's sure to be more of those in the years to come. Yeah, I think certainly this this run, you'd think it's going to continue next year when Marvin Harrison Jr. is NFL draft eligible and Emeka Buka certainly could be in that conversation as well. If you ask Brian Hartline, he thinks Julian Fleming's going to be in that conversation as well. So, it, you know, we there was a, I was a, I think it was a 15 year gap there between first round receivers. And now we we could be on, you know, a historic run of, of first round wide receivers coming out of Ohio State. We'll we'll talk a little bit more next week about the guys who could be 2024 NFL draft prospects for Ohio State, but it's safe to say there's going to be a few wide receivers in that group. For sure. How about, you know, at offensive line Dan, I mean, this one's pretty pretty safe, of course, with with Whipler, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones. Ohio State would have three draftees on the offensive line for the first time since 2004, and potentially all those guys going, you know, perhaps you know, b- before the end of the day on Friday. Yeah, I mean, that's going to help Justin Fry, I would think, on the recruiting trail to be able to point to having three offensive linemen drafted, likely one of them early in the first round, potentially two in the first round, and likely three of them in the first three rounds. So certainly, you know, for a, at a position where Ohio State has had some recruiting troubles in recent years, you would think that's going to give them a boost to see the the talent that they've ju- they've just put in the NFL. And Dan, Ohio State could also have six top 100 picks in this this year's draft, which would be the eighth time that happened, the first since 2020. So, you know, obviously not even that long ago. We'll have to see where where some of those guys fall as far as that's concerned. But that's another another cool one that, of course, the Ohio State coaching staff will certainly you know stoke the flames of when trying to you know pitch. Ohio State to upcoming recruits and things of that nature. Yeah, I think all of that's to say this is a very strong draft class once again for Ohio State. It's not it's not as deep, I don't think, maybe as some of the other draft classes we've seen from Ohio State. But I think in terms of you know those top six guys in particular that we expect to go into first three rounds, they've got a really strong core group of of draftees in this class should very safely continue Ohio State's streak of drafts with at least six six players drafted, which will be the ninth straight year for that. And then we'll see with the likes of Ronnie Hickman, Tanner McAllister, Cam Brown, Teron Vincent, et cetera, if that number can grow. You know, I I, I would ex- I I I'm reasonably confident Ronnie Hickman will be drafted and make it at least seven. Like I said, I'm I'm going to predict that Ohio State will have eight draft picks between you know that Tanner McAllister, Cam Brown, or potentially someone else jumping in there. You know, I I don't know that I could predict multiple of them to to be picked right now, but I'll, I'll say at least one of them will be. And then you said this will be the first time that you're actually at the draft covering it, right? 
It will be. Yeah. I'm as of by the time you're listening to this, I will be in Kansas city. And so looking forward to covering it, CJ Jackson and Paris will all be there. And so stay tuned to 11 warriors.com. We'll have a lot of coverage from that. We'll have interviews before the draft with them on Wednesday. We'll have interviews after they get picked. So it'll be fun to, you know, get to be there for those guys as they have these historic moments in their life and certainly looking forward to, to covering it. And unfortunately for, you know, listeners that have been around for a few years, no beat eats segment as <laughs> potentially, you know, gets involved in some barbecue down there as well. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a little hard to film with just one person, but I, I definitely am planning to get some of that famous Joe's Kansas city barbecue. I, I, I think Garrick Hodge would be greatly disappointed in me if I did not go to Joe's while I was in Kansas city. So we're going to make that happen. I'm very jealous, Dan, but uh, you know, as we kind of wrap up the show here let's turn the page to the you know the the current state of affairs for the buckeyes as we you know head into kind of the the summer and the post spring window here specifically talking transfers dan not a whole lot of you know movement for ohio state it's not you know been one of these these years where as, as soon as the spring game's over there's been any kind of mass exodus jake Seibert, what was it the third third year kicker for ohio state transferred out. But other than that, it's been pretty, pretty quiet, Dan, and and even kind of on the the incoming transfer front as well in terms of guys that have been linked to Ohio State. Yeah. Again, I feel like this is where we're in the danger zone where who knows what'll happen in the next several hours before this actually gets published. But <laughs> you know, as, as we sit here on Tuesday afternoon, since last week's episode, Ohio State has not lost any transfers and it hasn't added any transfers. And I I did not think we'd be sitting here saying that. Quite frankly, I, I would have expected that, you know, a few more Buckeyes would have entered the portal by now. I don't I don't know that I'm shocked that Ohio State hasn't added a transfer yet, but I'm I'm a little bit surprised that we're sitting here right now and only one Buckeye has entered the transfer portal. Still time for that to change, but not that much time for it to change because the, the portal closes again at the end of this weekend. And so we'll see if we see some more, you know, late transfer movement for guys actually leaving the Buckeyes, but so far, the retention has been extremely high. One notable name, though, Dan, in the transfer portal just the other day, um, Notre Dame, you know, a wide receiver at Notre Dame, Lorenzo Styles, obviously the, the brother of Ohio State's Sonny Styles, enters the portal, perhaps though could play, you know, cornerback or defensive back at another school. That that name, obviously, given the, the ties, Pickerington ties, everything like that is certainly going to raise some eyebrows for Buckeye fans. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard that he's coming to Ohio state, but I'm going to be a little bit surprised if he doesn't come into Ohio state because this just feels like a move he would make because he wants to join his brother and come back to Columbus and play at his father's alma mater. Because when you think back to when he was in high school, he was recruited by Ohio state as a cornerback and he chose to play at Notre Dame because he wanted to play wide receiver. But now for a report that he has decided he wants to play on defense, you know, I know Ohio State is interested in him and he has interest in Ohio State. And so, you know, I, I do think there's a very good chance that this one ends with him becoming a Buckeye. Now, does Ohio State really need a transfer corner? I, I, I would say no. I mean, I, I we've talked about it so much during the spring that I think Ohio State's in a good spot at corner right now. So I would not view him as someone who would come in and play right away. I think actually probably the most likely 
situation there would probably be him taking a redshirt year since he hasn't yet. You know, he could play in a few games, but I, I could. I think probably the most likely scenario would be he comes in, takes a redshirt year, and then would still have two years left to play. And I think in that sense, it would be logical because you know they do they t- they typically want to have eight cornerbacks on scholarship. They currently only have seven. They're also cross training some of those guys at nickel safety, so Lorenzo could potentially do that as well, and it would give them more depth at both spots. And then, you know, again, he's a guy they really liked coming out of high school. And so I think he does have upside as a corner. We, we, we've seen it last year with Chip Trainum, although he ended up moving to running back, they recruited him as a linebacker. And so they, they've shown a willingness to bring in a guy who played a different position and move him to a new position at Ohio State, even as a transfer. And so, you know, I think those factors, plus the fact that it's family. He's Sonny's brother. He's his father played at Ohio State. He's got those o- Ohio State ties. I think that's the kind of guy you're going to look to make room for. Ryan Day always talks so much about culture fits when it comes to transfer. And I think this is a situation where you would you would expect a natural cultural fit if Lorenzo Styles was to make that move. And so, you know, I think if Ohio State adds Lorenzo Styles. It's not, you know, people should not look at that as they're they're still worried about the corners for this year. I think people should look at that as this is a guy who has Ohio State ties that wants to come home and that they would bring in because they would believe in his plan for his development over the next two to three years more so than what he would do right away when he gets there. And another name that Ohio State's kind of been linked to is another potential, you know, addition from Ole Miss. Obviously, David Davison Igbenosin having already come from that program to Ohio State. This time, though, a defensive tackle. You know, we've we've kind of talked about there not being maybe quite as much depth in terms of guys rotating in at that position this season, Dan. But is it Taiwan or Taiwan Malone, Dan? For for Ole Miss is a guy that I think it's Taiwan. But now that you say it, I I find myself less certain. Yeah, I didn't want to like confidently come out and say what well. I've always said Taiwan. So if it's not Taiwan, then I'm wrong. Okay, well, we'll, we'll go with that. But Dan, how do you see him kind of, you know, what role could he have if if that does end up materializing? Yeah, I think I think he would be a depth piece for the Buckeyes. I think, you know, a defensive tackle, I think, you know, the top three are solidified in terms of Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, you know, not sure which two will start there, but I think those are the three guys that are going to play the most snaps. And so I think, you know, bringing in a Taiwan Malone would, would be about fortifying that depth behind them because they only have two other non-freshman defensive tackles right now in Jaden McKenzie and Hero Canoe. So they certainly could use one more veteran there at DT. He also played some snaps at defensive end at Ole Miss as well. So, you know, he's, he's a bigger body guy, 300 pounds. So I would think he would play DT at Ohio State, but he could potentially offer some versatility to play on the edge too. In, in certain situations. And so I think he would be a good addition for, for depth purposes. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I, I know Ohio state's interested in him. I don't, I'm not certain what his interest level is in Ohio state. You know, would he want to go somewhere where maybe he'd be in line for a bigger role? I don't know. You know, would he want to go somewhere that has a better baseball program? Because, 
one of the reasons why he picked Ole Miss out of high school was because he also played baseball there. Now, you know, he he didn't play a lot in either sport at Ole Miss. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the calculus is a little bit different now in terms of looking for his next transfer spot. But, you know, I, I think if he wants to be a Buckeye, I think he'd be a logical addition because he's a guy who still has three years of eligibility and he could come in, be, come give Ohio State some depth this year and then potentially play a bigger role over the next two years. Some breaking news here on Tuesday afternoon this well, as it's been reported that San Diego State offensive tackle Josh Simmons will be making an official visit to Ohio State on Friday. Simmons was the starting right tackle at San Diego State last season. And obviously, we've talked about it a lot, the possibility of Ohio State bringing in a another offensive tackle here in this post-spring transfer window to upgrade that position. Simmons wasn't necessarily great in his first season as a starter at San Diego State, but you look at his pedigree, he's a guy who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He had a lot of big offers for major schools like Oregon, Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma, Penn State, USC, just to name a few. So this is a guy who has potential certainly to be a starting offensive tackle at Ohio State whether this year or down the line and probably of all the guys who have been in the portal so far the one who would make the most sense as somebody who could come in and compete with Tegra Shibola and Zen Mahalski for that starting right tackle job so we'll see what happens there in, in terms of whether Ohio State is able to land him or whether any other offensive tackles enter the portal that might be starting caliber players for Ohio State, but certainly that being the number one need for Ohio State in the transfer portal, Buckeyes have to explore whatever options are out there, and we now know that they're taking a close look at at least one in Josh Simmons. Well, Dan, as far as transfers go, we're going to cross our fingers and hope that no major news breaks within the next 10 minutes, as it sometimes does, before this gets <laughs> out to everybody listening on Wednesday. As far as the draft, though, we know when that will be happening in Kansas City. You will be on hand to cover the entire event, and we'll be back to recap all the festivities from Kansas City and beyond next week on our show. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week.